Hibbert. I wonder if he was coming in for JR. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Block number five for the Pacers center. Wow, oh, what a play. and thank you for tuning in to the Nickish podcast. This is episode number 19. I'm here with Nafi and today we're going to be doing part 2 out of 2 of the worst moments in Nick's franchise history of the last two decades and tonight we're going to be talking about the top 5. So, what's up Nafi? How you doing? I don't know if you're ready to go back into this. I mean, shit, man. Our last podcast was a little too, a little too happy, you know. So we might as well take it in the exact opposite direction. Let's get dark again. Let's take it back to the abyss. Um, let's get sad, man. Let's do it. I mean, uh, this could be the best. I mean, you know, in two weeks could be the best time we ever had as Knicks fans. So we'll see. We'll see. The number one, the lottery is going to be in May on May 14th, which is about two weeks away and free agency is in July. So this could be the last time we ever have to even think about moments like these. Yeah, I was about to say, you got like some kind of calendar that's not available to anybody else. I was like two weeks free agency, like two months away. (laughs) What are you talking about, bro? That's the main event. The lottery is just the appetizer. Because you know, we, we, that's that's all up to chance. Yeah. But July, I mean, you know what? I'm not trying to jinx nothing. You know, I've spoken enough shit already, preliminary shit at that. Let's just relax. I'm a, I'll, right now, I'm trying to get back to the mindset of, like, if it happens, if, like, I'm not going to believe KD's a Nick until he puts, pe- like, pen to paper. So. Until that Woj bomb comes try- up. Oh hell no! That's when all the pants are going off. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's in the future. And like I said, we're trying to get sad today, so let's uh, let's get on with this list. I know our our listeners been uh, eagerly anticipating us getting really really sad again. So yeah, let's do it for them, huh? So just to recap, uh, I do want to give the listeners uh, what we had as our top. The other top ten, uh, the the ten to five, uh, six part. Sorry, ten to six. And today we're gonna talk about the five to one. So, just a recap. Uh, the tenth, uh, worst Knicks moment in franchise history was Dolan versus Oakley. At nine, we had Phil Jackson versus Porzingis and Melo. At eight, we had the entire 2014 NBA season. Number seven, we had amnestying Chauncey Billups. At six, we had the Andrea Bargiani trade. So that was ten to six, and today we're gonna go through five to one. So you ready to do this? We Knicks fans, man, we our default setting is ready for misery. So yeah, let's get it. Um, if you want me to lead us off? Go for it. All right, 
to start this wonderful trek down memory lane. At number five, we got um, the anti the. So yeah, number five, we got the Anto Antonio McDice trade, made on June 26, 2002, um, 17 years ago, approximately. So neither of us could really speak eloquently about this, because no. um, given we were just uh, not even barely aware at that time, we were just you know little kids that were kind of rude for the Knicks. But um, just looking back on it in a, with hindsight, um, it was not... It was a catastrophic, catastrophic deal by any accounts, objectively, and from everything I could read about that time, it was it was a deal that was panned as soon as it was made. Um, but the deal itself was um, Antonio McDyess getting traded from the Nuggets to the Knicks for Marcus Camby, Mark Jackson, and the draft rights to Nene, who's the seventh overall pick in the 2002 draft. Um, and for context, before this trade was even made, McDyess tore his patellar, or he ruptured his patellar tendon. I think it was, yeah, in the 2001 season. So he was out for the entire season, re-aggravated that injury, had additional surgery, apparently, and he was sidelined for the whole 01 and 02 season. So mind you, the Knicks gave up all that for a dude who, who's, like, could you imagine, right, let's just, like, put it in modern context, just like a few years back, could you imagine if any team had given up that much for Greg Oden, you know, or like a big man with an injured knee? Oh, wait, never mind. Is Christos Porzingis. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe that's a foreshadowing. Even Amari. Yeah. Even Amari was kind of like that to a point. Even Yeah, but like we we signed him and like Amari him. was coming off some productive stretch. You know, the McDives is just like uh, damaged goods, right? So you would think a, a smart, you know, forward-thinking um, to franchise that does their homework would be like, you know what? This is a depreciated asset. We'll give you like a ham sandwich and a bag of coins for this. Nah, these motherfuckers opened up the war chest yeah. and gave them Marcus Camby, a young big man with promise, who at the time wasn't Camby yet. Um, Camby went on to go to Denver, obviously, and, you know, really had a great career there. I think he won defense player of the year once, I think. Yeah, and let's not let's not forget that. he was actually pretty critical to a nine nine team that went to the NBA finals. So Exactly. A, a he, team that was missing Ewing, you know what I mean? And so like, he, he was in his in. prime. Yeah. He he was twenty seven when he got traded. He's still, you know, entering his prime and he was still like in the middle of his prime. So I mean after oh, that yeah, after that he you know, he was on the all defensive team I think four times and he won he did win the defensive player of the year uh, on the Nuggets. And Nene is still playing the NBA today. Yep, um, still a really solid veteran. And yeah. then before that, I mean, he was never an all-star, but he was always just like, I I'm going to be honest with you, I always love watching Nene play. Like, that's a really skilled big man. Um, he's tough as shit, you know, throughout his entire career. He was just one of them dudes that nobody ever really wanted to fuck with, well, at least physically. And just, we, we gave him and Camby up, and Mark Jackson, who I think at the time, I mean, just given the timeline, it was 0-2, he was probably a wash Mark Jackson, but it was still like a, a franchise kind of pillar, you know what I mean? I mean, Mark Jackson, like, say what you will about him as a coach and probably as a man, he was, well, most people think of his playing days, they associate him with either New York or the Indiana, you know what I mean? So so they gave that all that up for Antonio McDyess, who, let's be clear, was damaged goods at the time. And they're like, nah, well, we believe in him as a superstar. I mean, fair, okay, let's... Uh, Let's give him a shot, right? Nope, he ended up fucking up his uh, his knee again. And if I'm reading this correctly, 
according to the almighty Wikipedia, on October 8th, 2002, with one minute and 55 seconds left in an exhibition game, mind you, against Phoenix, McDice re-injured his knee while dunking a rebound. He would undergo another surgery four days later, and yeah, he was out for the season, and then he got traded in 03 and 04 um, for Marbury. So, I mean, I guess he did, he played his role in being a, a, another trade chip for uh, another uh, big-time splash that kind of didn't work out. It's all a terrible chain of events, let's be honest with you. And um, I know we just mentioned Marbury, so like he wasn't on this list, but it just, where was he? He'll he'll come up he'll come up later. His name will pop up. Um, All right. I mean, dude, just to touch on that, then I mean, we can talk about him when what? he when he comes up with another another exec of the of the Knicks that comes up on the list later. Because that that was one uh, of the moves that he right. made. So as far as this goes, I trade. <laughs> it, it does, I don't understand the logic of what they were trying to do. Like, it goes to show, like. Basically, the Knicks were always at a point where they felt that they always needed to be a title contender. So, because they weren't at that point in '03, they decided to make a trade for McDice, who I believe was a multi-time All-Star. But that was it. I don't think he was ever like a superstar level player or a superstar caliber player. But he could have been if he didn't have those injuries. He was a good player. But like they traded him, and we got back a pick. And that pick, I don't like. I'm looking at the name right now. I I can't pronounce it, but I have no idea who this guy is. Last name is Lampy or Lamp. Um, oh yeah, I remember that. I just remember fans being hyped. That was a 2003 <laughs> draft. That's most probably the legendary draft of all time. I think the Knicks had either two or three first round picks, and we ain't got nobody out of that stack draft. That's like the fucking Knicks right there in a in a in a nutshell. Like the old Knicks. They're the old yeah, Knicks. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Clear, clear, fair. <laughs> Fair, uh, um, you know, splitting of the errors there. But, um, yeah, so McDyess himself, like, not he was even a multi-time All-Star when he fucking gave up all this shit. He was a he was one-time All-Star, 2001. He made all-NBA third team in 1999. And all, all my memories of McDyess is just him just like a solid backup big man, you know what I mean? But every time he, oh, I would watch a game, and he would come off the bench. People were like, oh, you know, at one time he was a high flyer, you know, yada, yada, yada. Motherfucker wasn't even that nice to give up all this much, you know? Like, Marcus Camby, you know, like who, I thought he was younger at the time, but I forgot he, I think he got drafted really early. So he was like 27 when he got traded. Yep. I mean, so we gave up a big man in his prime and the draft rights to another promising young big man for this guy. And who ended up getting hurt again, you know what I mean? Like... Just bring it back to a modern context. Could you imagine KP hits the floor? I mean, I'm not never wishing injury about anybody. You know what I mean? Could you imagine if KP hits the floor for Dallas next season, right? And he just gets hurt again? Like, Dallas will get, rightfully get clowned, you know? Like, it's obviously bad luck, but it's just like, I don't know. I mean, it's just like shit piling on top of shit with that. Like, there's maybe the deal would have worked out if McDy stayed healthy, but I, it's, it's doubtful because, like, that injury he did have, patellar tendon, like, that's to this day in 2019 is a devastating injury that could fuck up a dude's career. So imagine like 17 years ago, like, what the fuck were the Knicks thinking? That was rhetorical. They weren't, you know. Yeah. So. And and the difference between that is that KP right now is like 24 years old. I think McDice was around like 30 at the time. So even yeah, even worse. Yeah, it's not a one-to-one comparison. Yeah. yeah even not, even I mean, worse. Exactly. Right. Yeah. KP, like, let's be honest. On the Dallas, that was a good trade for them. But I mean, to, to wrap this all up, 
that 2002 draft, we gave up the rights to Nene, but we also, if we had kept that pick, we could have either picked Amari, who I'm not a big fan of, but like, you know, if you could get him with the seventh pick in a draft, that's it's not bad. Karam Butler was in was picked right after Nene in that draft. This is so that's three. Oh, Tayshawn Prince was in that draft. John Salmons. All of these are better options than just like mortgaging your future. But at that time and throughout a good 10 to 15 year period, the Knicks weren't in the business of mortgaging the future. So it is what it is. It, it sucks. But, you know, hopefully that's all in the past now, right? Yep. All right. So that that was our fifth worst moment of Knicks franchise history in the last two decades. So now we're going to move on to number four. So the fourth worst moment in Knicks franchise history the last two decades is... The 2009 NBA draft. Whew. Dude, if if the Lux, if, if, if the Knicks were lucky just by a little bit that one season, <laughs> everything would have been different. The last decade, the last 10 years of our lives would could have been completely different. Probably. Probably. It's just... If, uh... <sighs> Ooh, okay. Um... Take us to the abyss, Doc. Go ahead. Let's get dark. Hold on. So, basically what ended up happening was that the Knicks had the eighth pick of that draft. Eighth pick, right? Or yep, ninth? eighth. Eighth. So, eighth, eighth, yep. Eighth pick of that draft. And the story about before it was that there was a fairly mutual interest between the Knicks and a man, you know, what was his name? Steph Curry? You, you remember that guy? Um, Wardell Curry, I believe, is his proper government name, sir. Uh, I'm familiar. Yes, yes. Son of Dell, I think. Son of Dell. You Bro- know, you know first, first ever unanimous MVP, uh, greatest shooter of all time, and, you know, leads the NBA in playoff threes, will very, very soon lead the NBA in all-time threes. Uh, top five player in the NBA today. Um, and just... Yeah, and and is uh, part of the team that ha- that won the bi- the best record of all time, beating Jordan's team, uh, winning seventy three and uh, nine. That 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 guy, Stephen Curry, the guy who will probably be a champion at the end at the end of this season again, and be a three time, uh, sorry, four time champion, and be a, huh. you know, get the uh, three in a row. So not that, bad. That guy, that guy could have been that guy could have been on our team, but what ended up happening was. The Golden State Warriors picked him up the pick before it was the Knicks, so they picked him up seventh. And at that point, Steph Curry was an underrated player. Um, he was an underdog, and he, while while playing college, uh, you know, he wasn't that well known. He was he was thought to be undersized and underskilled, and he was taken as a shooting guard. But you know, the Knicks had a mutual interest with Steph Curry and wanted to wanted to draft him, but that ended up not happening, and. What ended up happening was that the Knicks drafted a man named Jordan Hill. I, who? Our listeners are asking. I'm sure you'll fill them in. But yes, who? I, I don't. I don't even know where he is today, to be honest. Last I heard, he was in the Lakers. I think a few years ago when Jeremy Lin was still in the Lakers, and he had that video with Nick Young uh, when they won that game. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but um, yeah, 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 the one that Kobe <laughs> reacted to on yeah, Jimmy yeah, Kimmel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I bet you Kobe has that dude fucking busting tables at a cheesecake factory somewhere now. 
but that that's that's what happened and, that, and that's not that's not like that's one of the bad reasons that is that we could have drafted Stephen Curry but we didn't there there's so many other reasons that that draft class was loaded with talent and we ended up picking up Jordan Hill who else could we have picked mm-hmm. up you, you you let them know all right I mean before I do that I want to kind of set the table even further so I remember Donnie Walsh was enamored with Curry then you know what I mean enamored and just, it was like we were projecting just so much of a love for him. It was just like every mock draft at that point was like, yo, Steph Curry's there, he's going to the Knicks. And then what, what fucked us was not even Golden State was just above them. Minnesota had two picks back-to-back, five and six, right? They used both their picks on point guards. So they fucked us just off that, you know what I mean? Because we were going to that draft looking for a point guard first and foremost, and it was a point guard-rich draft. There's no reason for fucking Minnesota to take two point guards. That was fucking that idiot David Kahn, who's the Caucasian Isaiah Thomas. You know what I mean? That deci- that that decision was clowned at the time, and it just ended up a ripple ripple effect because apparently one or one of those point guards that they chose, Knicks were high on if Steph wasn't there when we picked. So Minnesota picked Ricky Rubio and then Johnny Flynn, and um, at the time I was a fan of Johnny Flynn. It didn't work out for him because of injuries and shit, but. You know, I would like I would have preferred him over Jordan Hill and seeing what uh, D'Antoni could do with him, right? But anyway, we took Jordan Hill, and on the board still, okay, right after Jordan Hill got picked, it was Demar Derozan. Um, I'm not a fan of him. Uh, if our listeners have probably heard me refer to him as the the Walmart version of Kobe, um, you know. But at this point, like it's uh, objectively speaking, he's become a good player, and just, Jordan Hill is objectively not that. So I mean, I would have taken Derozan. Um, Brandon Jennings had like a hot summer, you know, that one rookie year. That 50-point game. 55 points. 55, yeah. yeah. And, he eventually, and he eventually became a Nick anyway, and then kind of kind of want to scrub that out of my memory because he was not good um, going on this list. Drew Holiday, we needed a point guard. He was there, picked at 17. Huh. Ty Lawson picked at 18. At 19, Jeff Teague was picked. At 21, Darren Collison. So none of these guys are like all stars. I mean, Drew Holiday's just been balling out the last two years. So I mean, Drew Holiday's been an all star. Yeah, he has been an all star. Yeah, Ty Lawson was really nice for a stretch. Like, he was like the the engine that drove that fifty six win uh, Denver Nuggets team. Yep. I think it was a year after they traded Melo. He was like the guy that ran that show, and I fucking loved him because I was a UNC fan at the time. I was like, yo, if we get Ty Lawson, you know, if we can't get Curry, I love that. And I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I was one of those skeptics of Curry just because like. I don't know, he was like an undersized kind of combo guard in college, and he played at Davidson, you know, and like people knew him in college just because like he was on an underdog team and he was just showing out, but I remember at the time the talk was just like he's so similar to Monte Ellis, so a lot of Knicks fans were just like, there's no way Golden State would pick him, they already had Monte, you know what I mean, Monte Ellis, and then they took him anyway, and we were all just fucking bamboozled and uh, led astray and confounded, <laughs> um, Jeff Teague, obviously, solid point guard. He had he was part of that uh big that highly successful Atlanta Hawks team. Yep. He came into his own. Yeah, and at that time, I was just like, when the Knicks really needed a point guard, this is the mellow era. I was like, yo, if we could try to, we, I think we were in talks to try to trade for Jeff Teague. I would have loved him because he would have been such an upgrade because he was a solid all around point guard that thrived in a pick and roll kind of situation. Um, Darren Collison, solid vet, been on a couple of teams, but I'll take a solid vet over a fucking lumbering stiff that's probably playing in china right now for loose change you know like um yeah going down the list is a taj gibson at 26 damari carroll at 27 
Oh, wait, the Knicks had a second first-round pick. I mean, that 2009, this kind of puts a bow on how catastrophic that whole draft was. Tony Douglas, I mean, we probably <laughs> haven't discussed that name a lot on this podcast, but you know personally I fucking despise that dude. <laughs> I swear to God, there are bums in front of Penn Station that could probably, if you give them a ball and, like, a couple of coins and a lottery ticket, they could probably get on the court and actually play point guard with more aggressiveness than Tony Douglas did. That man was allergic to the paint. I don't understand how you could be a point guard and just dribble sideways instead of dribbling forward. Never made any sense to me. But, yeah, we got him and Jordan Hill in that draft. And, I mean, history speaks for itself, right? Like, we missed out on Curry. I mean, let it be known, we would have taken Curry if he was there, but we just have the shot. So it, it and it they really just took a big man in a point guard class. That's that's like the cream of the crop right there. The Knicks. Fucking yeah, what well, made it worse is D'Antoni was trying to sell it as like, oh, you know, he reminds me of Amari afterwards. I was like, motherfucker. Yeah. Because he's big <laughs> and, and and black. <laughs> that's it. He he can dunk. Like that's it. Uh, he didn't have any skills, and then. We this is how little we cared about uh, fucking Jordan Hill because like he was traded like half a season into his rookie year, um, it, for a cap space move, you know, yeah. Yeah. for a team act. And if we had actually gotten a young player that we cared about, that he would not have been included in that deal. Highly unlikely, you know. I mean, maybe that's the one benefit for Jordan Hill. He was enticing enough for the Rockets to take and for for them to give us team act expiring contract, and we cleared the books of reasonably well i guess for 2010 we were we still had one albatross on our on our cap uh, cap sheet in that summer but we'll, we'll, we'll get to him you know down this list you know you know who i'm talking about right i know exactly what you're talking about exactly um, oh and just to top yeah. it off patrick beverly was in that draft in the second round all these guys are still guard. in the nba 10 years later that's not easy to do to stay in the nba for for over 10 years or for about 10 years and all these guys that you said are still in the nba and that's a that's a long list of names right there all very Patty solid Mills. players Patty Mills, Danny Green. I mean, he was a scrub his first three years, but like you know, the Knicks actually believed in development back then, and not just like now. <laughs> we probably could have taken Danny Green and developed him, but you know, player development didn't become a thing in the New York City or tri-state area until like you know 2018. So yeah, that's we're we're a clown show. Why the fuck do we still root for this team? Let's let's go off the list. Unless you want, <laughs> you got something. No, else no, no. Ask. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I'm trying to get through this list as soon as possible. I was, this needs to be a short episode. I don't know how much more I can handle. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to move on, man. We're, we're at number three right now. So, uh, all right. The third worst moment in Knicks franchise history of the last two decades is... The 2013 NBA playoffs when Roy Hibbert blocked the shit out of Carmelo Anthony. Now... Yeah. Now there, it's not it's not the block. It, it it's well partially it's the actual block because the it's, it's there's so much t- it it goes so it, deep it, that I don't even know it where was to symbolic. It, it was, was very symbolic. symbolic and let, like, let, me, let me take it from here. It go go for it. I don't I don't know where to start. <laughs> that block it was like it itself obviously it was a momentum changing play in the game, but just and obviously the effects didn't have wide ranging like it wasn't wide ranging effects, but it was just like in terms of morale, it crushed our spirits. And it was like, yo, he, Roy Hibbert blocked our blessings. Because you know what happened? We got kicked out the second round. And it wasn't just because of that block. It was a uh, number of other factors. But damn, like, we want to talk about just, like, a season ending and just, uh, like, anticlimactically. Motherfucking Roy Hibbert, who not even two years later was probably just, like, washed out of the league. He blocked our franchise player and made him look like a small child. And, like, 
that I feel like that sucked all the hope out of all Knicks fans. And let's take it. Let's take a step back from there because that particular season was the best season that we've seen in in so many years. In the last twenty years, uh, that was the Knicks' best season. The one season that we actually did fairly well in, and we won fifty four games, and we won the Atlantic Division, and we were competitive. We actually we actually low key had title aspirations for whatever reason that season because uh, we were playing really really well. Because I think we beat we beat Miami like three or four times that season. So and, we were like every Knicks fan you talked to was like, "Yo, all right, let's bring Miami on," because they was the big bad boys on the block back then, you know? Right. So and, like, we beat them. And <laughs> we were thinking that this was like the the Dallas Mavericks blueprint from the team that beat the 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 Heat uh, in 2011. Exactly. So you know, like a a superstar big man and a superstar like forward Dirk Nowitzki who was able to lead him or lead his team with Jason Kidd and Tyson Chandler that's what the Knicks had we had that forward in Carmelo Anthony with the same guys Jason Kidd and Tyson Chandler with surrounding yeah, pieces a bunch of, of shooters savvy vets. Yeah. savvy vets who like know how to play the game and we we were coming off a hot streak too against uh those last like three weeks I think the Knicks won like close to 15 in a row and then they were they almost sweep the Celtics. They didn't actually. I don't know if they sweep. Did they sweep the Celtics? I think they missed the sweep. They were up three. Five. I believe they were up three and zero, oh, and they lost one because they got cocky because they wore black to the last game. I'm just like, what are you doing? And they lost. Yeah, and then I think Martin. they won the next game. <laughs> so it was a bunch of stupid shit was starting to happen again in that in that series. I'm like, fuck. Like this is like this is reminiscent of the bad times. But and that's what ended up happening. So they were facing the Pacers, yeah. who were. I guess favorites to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals with the Heat, but the Knicks were playing well, and then in the last quarter, I think with maybe three or four minutes to go, uh, the Knicks were trying to rally and trying to close this one out in, in Indiana, and Melo went for the dunk, and Hibbert just met him at the rim and just blocked the shit out of him, and everybody, every Knicks fan watching felt it in their fucking hearts at that moment. They are like, fuck, like... That's a that's a big block, and that swung the entire momentum to Indiana. Indiana won the game, later won the series, and that was the last moment. That was the last moment that, you know, the that the Knicks actually felt hope to, you know, do well in the playoffs. Yeah, and it's just like, I mean, you talk about like that was the most prosperity we ever seen, and it just like that's how you know how strong that that disease and plague of like Knicksitude is, because we got cocky in a first round series. Uh, embarrassed ourselves wearing all black and losing that game and then we just fumbled away that series against indiana who we could have beaten and that's where the whole dallas comparison fell short and i was iffy on all year that season it was just yo mike woodson's doing good things in regular season let's see in the playoffs and then he just he fumbled the entire bag in the playoffs bro like that's where that whole comparison fell short they had rick carlisle dallas we had mike woodson mr potato head himself and uh, oh my god good lord like the the biggest mistake he made that series was just overplaying Amari and just going big, trying to match Indiana's size. When all throughout the season, when we did beat Indiana, we beat him going small. And even Frank Vogel, the rival coach who just beat you, said after the series, like, I was shocked they didn't play uh, Chris Copeland more. We had no answer for him in the regular season because they played him at center and Roy Hibbert couldn't go out there. Woodson's like, nah, man, the East is big. We got to play Amari who plays zero defense or rebounds because he's big. God damn it, man. And then Jason Kidd, like, I love him. Loved him that season. 
he was looking thoroughly washed that playoffs. And Pablo, anytime he got minutes, he was looking like spry and like energetic. And you know how good he was on defense with his steals and shit. You know what I mean? Yep. I would have played him a little bit more of a kid, but like Woodson stuck with what he thought was like the right way to do it. And then, you know, now he's an assistant on LA and we're here like very far away from like any kind of playoff contention. So congrats to Mike Woodson and congrats to Roy Hibbert. I'm sure they're all very happy for crushing our Knicks hopes. They're not doing anything right now, but, you know, they got it under their belt that they destroyed our most prosperous season. So good for them. Still affects us six years later. Yep. PTSD, bro. It's a terrible thing. Do you think other – I can't think of other teams or other fans of other teams who have to think of it this way besides us. Maybe They think of what this way? Like they they, they, they may have, like, a handful of moments where they're just like, fuck, like, why did our organization do this? Why did our players do this? And I just fucked this up. But it's just – I don't think any other team can come up with this many moments. The Kings, they give us a run for our money. Um, the Suns in like the last ten years. Uh, the Suns last like three years too. Yeah, especially the last three years. But like, I don't think they've been in the playoffs since like 2010. So you know, they right there with us. Um, I think that's the only those are the only two franchises that come to mind. Um, yeah, it it all changes the summer. Hopefully, you know, hopefully, we'll see. Hopefully. Okay. Hopefully. All right. So that was the third worst. So I don't know. I think we're ready to move on to number two. You have anything else to say about this Roy Hibbert block? Because only gonna get worse uh, from here. Nah, you know that's. I'm sure Roy Hibbert got that whole shit blown up and put on a plaque in his home. So you look at that every time he clocks out of uh, working at Best Buy. So whatever. <laughs> when he gets home, whatever. Good for Roy Hibbert. All right, all right, here we go. Ooh, all right, so now we're in the top two. So these, like, it, it was it was really bad. It was bad and got really bad. Like, these these next two moments are horrible, like, extremely horrible. I guess it's hard to – it's going to be hard to put into words on how horrible these two moments were. Uh, but we'll, we're going to try our best here. All right, so here we go. So at number two of the worst Knicks moments in franchise history – of the last two decades is the Eddie Curry trade. Eddie motherfucking Curry. So, when the Knicks trade for Eddie Curry, they traded away Tim Thomas, Michael Sweetney, the Knicks 2006 first round pick, the right to swap first-round picks with the Knicks in 2007 and the 2007-2009 second-round picks. Not only that, they gave the man a $60 million contract. That's that's just the facts. So what's the what's the in-between lines that that are going to be glaringly that glare that uh, that are glare, glaringly fuck I'm messing up my words here. They're glaringly obvious to all Knicks fans from this trade. It's all good, bro. Just uh, the mere mention of Eddie Curry be causing even the strongest of Knicks fans to stammer. So <laughs> I'll spare you on that. I'm sure. I'm sure there's like some kind of supporter therapy group out there. We we sign you up. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna uh, lead the group? Well, shit, man. We come every Thursdays. Come through. Bring bring cookies. Sugar helps with the stress. But, yeah, um, then Eddie Curry's gonna pull through and eat them too. No, we, we, we fuck with the gluten-free, so like he, he don't be showing up to that. He's like a bear. He sniffs the real diabetes-inducing sugar, and he comes through. We, we ain't got that. We good. All right. Um, 
I mean, before I dig into the to the, the layers of all this, um, you want to kind of bring up who those picks turned out to be that we gave up for Curry? Because I know you got that on hand, and it's going to hurt to say, but you got to do it. Look, it's I, I don't know how many All-Stars these two collectively won together, but it's a lot. Um, but one of those guys is... than Curry. <laughs> <laughs> one of those guys is LaMarcus Aldridge, who is currently playing for the Spurs, played for the Blazers for a long time. Excellent player, all around, all around guy. You know, twenty ten type of guy, um, twenty points and ten rebounds per game, and defensively sound. So that that's one of those guys. And the other guy is who uh, someone who was a former Knicks, but we got him at pretty much the worst point of his career. But prior to that, he was a defensive monster, and that's Joe Kim Noah, who won Defensive Player of the Year, who is probably one of the best players in Chicago. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say Chicago Bulls history, but definitely one of the top ten top players in the last, you know, fifteen, twenty years. Um mm-hmm. he he was able to pass the ball, block, he was their he was their motor, their their engine for, for the whole Chicago Bulls franchise after after you know, Michael Jordan left, he was their their next best player. Um and he led the Bulls to the Eastern Conference Eastern Conference finals and they had multiple opportunities to really push uh, their team to make it to the finals, even though they were never able to do it. Um, and that's that's those were the two players that we gave up for fucking Eddie Curry, man. Wow, I mean, who'd have thought? Just keeping high draft picks and then you know pairing them together to build a foundation that that, that would out that that could have worked out. I mean, who would have thunk it? You know, crazy. Could you? Because like, here's the thing. We drafted those two guys because obviously there's no guarantee. Like if we had kept those picks and not made this deal, that we would have been in those exact spots to get those guys. But we eliminated all possibility of even being in t- contention for Aldridge in 06 or Noah in 07. And to be honest with you, before this whole like offensive uh, spacing revolution in the NBA for the last five to, to ten years, Aldridge and like uh, Noah would have been a fucking beautiful duo to have together. The high-low passing, um, Noah covering uh, uh, Aldridge's defensive deficiencies, and Aldridge himself was always like at best like a solid defender, um, a score-first kind of guy that like no and Noah loved to defer. So like those two could have been together as Knicks in their prime. It would have been a beautiful thing, but instead we got uh, Eddie fucking Curry. Yo, we're brown, and how, just the mention of Curry just gives us spooks. Like, how's that work? Like, what the hell? Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mentioned it. I mentioned it earlier. We did give him a big ass contract, and uh, uh, I mentioned earlier how, like, uh, leading up to the summer of 2010, which is supposed to be a big free agent summer, summer similar to uh, this summer uh, to, of 2019, uh, the Knicks had done uh, nearly a great job of clearing all their books to uh, kind of be in contention for two stars. So we thought going into that summer, all right, we got enough money for two max stars. This this looks like uh, it could happen. But it turned out the team that had money for three of them was the one that got all three of the big fish. And we could have been in that same spot if we didn't have that one albatross on our roster, that one just, like, steaming pile of shit of a contract that just destroyed our flexibility to get that third spot. Um, and that's that that's that's Edward Ramon Curry Jr., you know? That's that's the man we're speaking of right now. But that, that's not his actual real name. I don't, it's, I don't know. kind of just wanted to... Yeah, I would believe that. But anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just remember that that whole Eddie Curry era was just, I feel like 
if you think of Eddie Curry, you think of the next man that's on our list, and it's, I mean, it's no spoiler. If we're doing a worst Knicks moments, I'm sure our listeners can catch on. It's Isaiah Thomas. Anytime I think Eddie Curry, I think of Isaiah, and just that summer before 2007 or 08, 07 summer, we got Zebo. And anybody with a keen basketball mind will tell you Zebo, who at the time was an offensive first, zero defense kind of big man that needed the post touches and thrived in the post and posting up, was exactly like Eddie Curry. He was a better version of what Eddie Curry's uh, skill set was. But Isaiah thought it was a great idea to bring those two together on the same squad and, you know, uh, make a formidable duo. You know what I mean? And that same year, I think the Knicks put out a video saying, Oh, we got Eddie Curry and Zebo. It was like one of those fan videos where they got an actor to pretend like he's a Knicks fan. We got to put that like, video oh. up. Got to find it. Yeah, I know. I sent that to you. And like, this motherfucker was like, oh, we have Eddie Curry and Zebo. You hear that, Boston? Formidable. <laughs> and, then, and then we lost. We got waxed by 50 that season by Boston, which is the first year of the Big Three era. So these motherfuckers didn't even have their chemistry all right, but they knew enough to just like beat the brakes off of us. So. Yeah, I mean, Eddie Curry himself was a terrible basketball player. Um, I mean, he had, in, in an era before, like, three-point shooting and spacing, I mean, even then, like, his post-up skill set wasn't, like, a premium, you know? Like, Isaiah got him hoping he could turn him into, like, Shaq, probably, and he was probably just, like, the Shaq you would see at your local YMCA. Like, <laughs> his... I just hated watching that dude play. He was like a black hole. He didn't rebound. He gave zero effort on defense. Um, he didn't like to pass. I feel like he did, somebody along the way in his life did not teach him the whole concept of the forward pass or the bullet pass, the bounce pass, or any kind of pass. And um, I don't know, man. It was, it was a dark time. And then just summer of 2010 where we felt like that era was coming to an end, I think we bought him out his last year. And then he ended up uh, – We okay, so we thought he would be a teammate of LeBron, right? Well, LeBron goes to New York, and ironically enough, this motherfucker, when we bought him out, he went to go sign with New York. Oh, not New York. Miami. He went to go sign with Miami. Yeah. And um, he was like – I saw all these reports. Oh, he's, he's losing weight. He's getting in shape. And then within a year, he was out the league. So, you know. And he had some personal shit going on outside of, outside of his life, if I recall. Um, I think there was a whole story about him uh, being held up by his limo driver or something like that and robbed. So – I mean, it's tough. Got to sympathize with them about that. But I'm purely speaking basketball. That trade was a disaster. Uh, we passed on, but we missed out on our chance on two All Star big men. And I don't know. If you got anything else to add to, uh, add to this? Because it, hey, this this man. is this is more along the lines of actually. I'll, I'll talk about when when Isaiah Thomas comes up. We're gonna talk about Eddie Curry a little bit more on you know why the signing itself didn't make much sense. But post signing, he he was just an ass player. He just kept talking about yeah he just wouldn't come in healthy you know what i mean like he'd always come in overweight not not prepared to really play as high as level like he he did have his potential i think he was really good in high school um he was a fourth overall pick from his class but he just he had potential he just never wanted to really go through with it he he had some injuries but it's really the overweight thing and he just and who was his coach it was mike d'antoni who liked a fast style of play and he just didn't fit because he never really you know, came in shape, so it never really worked out, and his last two seasons, he played only 10 games, but he was still making a shit ton of money, and it just, he he really held us back, but truly, the the man who held us back the most is the guy who we're going to talk about next, or right now, so that's, that's 
that's it for Eddie Curry. He was just a horrible player, got a really bloated contract, never really worked out, and he's just he was just a disappointment of a player in the NBA. Yeah, he was a, a, a negative effect as a basketball player, and then he had negative repercussions on our franchise when he went long after he you know, stopped playing for us consistently. You know, yeah. like I'll never forget summer of 2010. That was I saw ESPN report that like our that big three that happened in Miami. It could have it could have been feasible if we had just gotten the money to make it happen, and we couldn't because of this this motherfucker. Right. So. But ultimately, the blame I, I give the blame for the Knicks' futility of the last twenty years to one man. Ultimately, that's the next guy. So, without further ado, the worst moment or thing or idea about the New moment. York Knicks of the last <laughs> two decades is Yeah, this needs a short drum roll. It's Isaiah motherfucking Thomas. So, there's so much to say about Isaiah Thomas. He he was a Knicks president from 2003 to 2008, but prior to that, he is one of the all-time best point guards in NBA history. Um, when people talk about the top point guards of all time, Isaiah Thomas's name almost always pops up. So, he was part of the bad boys with Detroit, and he helped win them a championship. But, this he's example... A, example number one, exhibit A, everything, all that as the fact that a successful NBA player does not automatically translate to a successful NBA exec. So he came with pro- with little to no experience, um, but he was with the Raptors for a little bit, and he was garbage with them, and uh, he... He did get T-Mac with them. Uh, I'll give him that, you know. He, he, did. he did draft T-Mac with the Raptors. I mean, um, that's about it, though. Whatever, I mean, the, whatever the case may be, he ended up coming to the, Jim Dolan hired him to be the president of the Knicks uh, from at 2003, and at, at that point, the Knicks play, uh, the Knicks missed the playoffs two out of the three seasons before after they won they made it to the NBA Finals. So they're probably dealing with a lot of pressure from from the media, from the Knicks fan base to to make it to the playoffs. So. Uh, at that point, when when he signed on, they were being led by guys like you know Latrell Sprewell, Allen Houston, Kurt Thomas, and they were all you know well over thirty. But after a- after he came on, Isaiah Thomas just kept making bad trade after bad decision after bad trade after bad decision, and he just he came in two thousand three, and we're still feeling his effects in two thousand nineteen. So let's let let's you and I start with let's go back to the Eddie Curry trade that he made. He's responsible for Eddie Curry getting sixty million dollars for that contract, but also he signed Eddie Curry after the Chicago Bulls didn't want him. And why did the Chicago Bulls not really want him? It's because he kept complaining about his heart pain, and he just had like there's a there's a there's a whole like controversy about Eddie Curry and some heart condition. But I don't think doctors were really able to ever find anything. So. Despite, I think that's the thing. I think he did get diagnosed with something, but then Isaiah was like, "Nah, it's just a heart. It's whatever. It's a little minor thing. It's all good. I'll give up the farm for you, and then give you all give you all the money, um, even even to just ignoring the slight fact that he might like, God forbid, if he could have like a heart condition as a ball player, like it happened to a Celtic player. Like the name is escaping me right now, but like he 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 dropped dead on the court. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to see that ever. But like Isaiah, he was like, nah. Fuck the risk of like, you know, trading for a big man with a heart condition. Let me 
honestly treat him like he's Michael Jordan and just give him give up everything for him, give up the farm for this kid, and then give him like the Briggs truck. You know what I mean? Like, that's Isaiah Thomas in a nutshell. Just decisions that never made sense at the time and just never you know even express any kind of just forward thinking mentality to it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, like he he gave him a sixteen dollar contract. Even today, that's huge. Um, and he gave up so many picks. Lamarcus Aldridge, Joakim Noah, and all right. So let's let let's go over some of the other trades that he made, or let's the other signs. So sixty million dollars, sixty million dollars went to Eddie Curry, thirty million dollars went to Jerome James, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who, who <laughs> <laughs> he averaged. <laughs> <laughs> he had a hot playoff stretch, and Isaiah's oh. like, "I need that. Give me all that. Give me, give me some Jerome James." I'm, oh, like, I'm, I'm laughing at our misery, man. He, he averaged five <laughs> five points per game, dude, and he was 29 years old at the time, and he gave him five years, thirty million dollars, <laughs> just because he showed out in the playoffs. That's it. He you also I mean? gave a five year, thirty million con- dollar contract to someone else, Jerry Jeffries. Who at the time also averaged about six points per game, and I uh, it's just like how much that's 120 million dollars given to scrubs altogether, including Eddie Curry, right right there off the bat. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you, you want to talk about undiagnosed like medical like issues? Like I swear to God, the, the doctors missed that Gary Jeffries had bricks for hands because <laughs> I never seen that dude make a solid layup and feel confident. They're like if he got the ball around the rim. I was like, oh, God, there's literally a 75% chance he'll miss this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <sighs> also also as president, he, he traded for Stephon Marbury, traded multiple you know vets and a first-rounder, which turned out to be Gordon Hayward for Stephon Marbury. And Marbury, as we know, like, yeah, he's a legend in China, but with the Knicks organization, he just didn't get along with them. And he there were times when he was told that he shouldn't be in the building. And, um... He, and I don't know why Marbury was signed because they already had Jamal Crawford and they're both similar players. So they they're both you know like score first guard. So the ball wasn't really moving at a time when Mike D'Antoni was or I think Isaiah Thomas was coaching at the time. But even then there wasn't much defense being played. Let's not forget they already got rid of Marcus Camby. So definitely no defense. And the Knicks were just horrible. Um, yeah, and like yeah. to follow up on that, like the Marbury trade in itself, I feel like it was the right move for a franchise because at that point. He was an all-star point guard. I like. I love Marbury at the time. Like as soon as we made that trade, like I begged my dad to go get me a Marbury jersey. Like, and it's similar. Like obviously, not to the extent of just like the caliber player, but like it's similar how like when we got Melo, the franchise didn't do him right by actually building a proper team. We got Marbury. Okay, you got like the main ingredient in a recipe for a good team. Isaiah was just like, nah, we're just gonna fuck up everything around him. You know what I mean? But- and yeah. it just led to it was like a snowball effect because and that's when like Marbury who had, in in himself you want to talk about like people talking about Kyrie and KD being enigmatic or like polarizing you know what I mean Marbury was that that dude was a certified Looney Tune you know what I mean like he wore out his welcome on the Nets I think and then he wore out his welcome on uh, the Suns so I mean that in itself you were playing with fire bringing him into your into your franchise and then. He got disenchanted with everything that was going around with him, and he just fell down a rabbit hole and ended up just live streaming him eating a whole tub of Vaseline. I mean, <laughs> uh, <sighs> yes, right. that's real. We're not making that up. That's not a joke. I've made some stupid ass jokes on this podcast. That's a hundred percent factual. 
there's a video evidence up there and everything. Like, that happened. Our franchise point guard was eating Vaseline and probably chased it with Vicks, too. I don't even know. Video shut off after that. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, I, what was the other coach that he hired? Uh, was it Larry Brown? There's a lot of coaches. Yeah, Larry Brown. He brought Larry Brown in. Everybody's like, okay, we got a big-time championship coach. Mm-hmm. We got Marbury. We got, uh, you know, a, a Hall of Famer, Isaiah, running running the show. And none of them got along with each other. Larry Brown hated Marbury's guts, and then it was vice versa. And what, why that what? worked out, why, why he thought that would work, I don't even know. And when Larry Brown left, what did what Isaiah do? He decided, like, fuck it, I'm a coach. He's like, oh, Shit, I'll do it myself. <laughs> I'm going to run the whole team. I'll be president. I'll be coach. I'm an all-star. I'm a Hall of Famer. I, I got this. And no, he what ended up. He just fucking he led the Knicks to, I think, their worst franchise record at the time. I think it was like 23 wins. It was a garbage team, garbage time, garbage organization. And it, like I, I'm going to keep repeating this. That led us all the way down. We were the worst team in the NBA overall for, for so many years, and I blame it all on Isaiah Thomas, dude. And then, I mean, we're touching on the basketball, but we also, like, rightfully got to bring up the real-life scenario. Yeah. He he sexually assaulted uh, an MSG employee. Um, I believe her name is Anucha Brown-Sanders. And they went to trial, and the – Isaiah and MSG lost the trial and paid her out a couple mil. Like, do you, do you have the exact number? But, like, a they li- literally did, lost that. A little more than a couple mil. is 11.5. Exactly. You know what I mean? 11.5 <laughs> mil in a sexual harassment suit. And that's – and then the thing is, like, this is how you know Isaiah is a fucking uh, a two-faced, like, charming bastard. Because, like, the whole, entire time Dolan was, like, on uh, uh, Isaiah's side. He's like, oh, no, she's – She's lying. It's all made up. Motherfucker, a whole jury of our peers in society decided you're guilty as fuck. You paid 11.5 mil. This is headlines all over every New York back page and New York front page. Embarrassing. New York Knicks. Hella embarrassing. You know what I mean? And could you imagine if that shit happened right now in 2019 with the kind of microscope, the right, like, like the Me Too movement, that's all dope because like it's finally like creeps are getting like exposed for what they are. So like the the, the spotlight on this, the microscope, this the Knicks would have been under if this happened right now would have been crazy. And at the time, it was still wild itself. Like you couldn't even claim to be a Knicks fan because like how the fuck your owner gonna be riding for a sexual harasser? You know what I mean? And it, it, that bought. I swear to God, I bet you Isaiah has like naked pictures of Dolan humping a donkey or some shit. You know what I mean? Because like that 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 bond is unbreakable. Because like years after that, years after losing that trial paying out um for isaiah's fucking sexual deviancies he tried to don't have the audacity to try to bring isaiah back that's how much of a strong parasite he is he tried to bring isaiah back as the fucking uh, owner or not owner the gm of the new york liberty so let's step let's step back for a little bit and like look at that objectively man lost the suit uh, a, a lawsuit a, a lost trial rather for sexual harassment of a female and you bring him in to run your women's basketball organization, and you thought that would fly? You thought that, like, oh, you know, people forgot, people, people have short memories? Nah, motherfucker. Like, Dalton's a fucking dumbass off that itself, and just fuck Isaiah for even being like, you know what? Uh, I'll take that job, you know? Like, the audacity of these motherfuckers, man. Like, fuck Isaiah. Like, fuck everybody that loves Isaiah, too. That man's a cancer, and I'm so fucking glad that that era is behind this, man. The whole, the whole point of these two episodes just to remind ourselves that there were horrible times and that there's there's light after dark. You know, all those fucking quotes that there are about that. But 
like these are horrible <laughs> moments and we're <laughs> light after dark that's i know it's a lot of it's, all, it's always it's always darkest before the dawn my brother thank you thank well, you well, dark night dark night <laughs> uh but we're ready to move on man we're we're lucky we have uh the gm and i guess the president that we do right now uh and scott mm-hmm. perry steve mills a coach that we have david fizza we're ready to move on thankfully yeah, I mean, the- we made it through a season without okay i'm not never mind i don't want to say we made it through a season without any controversy because kp trade is still very controversial to this day uh and we'll see how that plays out but overall we're not in headlines right now about any mishaps or fired coaches or angry, you know, NBA players. Everybody seems to be on the same page and we're ready to move on and see what the next decade holds in store for us. Pretty much. And it's like, I feel like the whole exercise of just like going on the worst 10 moments and like speaking to it as best as we could, it was just like to show that like, yo, we Knicks fans and like we fucking battle scarred as fans, bro. The amount of shit we've been through. Like you remember in a, Cause I know you and I, we both seen Endgame tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you remember, you know, Black Panther when Killmonger took off his shirt and he had all the brands and all the scars of mm-hmm. all his kills. That's like every Knicks fan with all the bullshit we've been through. Every little fucking dot on Killmonger's body represents like a Knicks fucking fuck up and just bad memory. That's that's us right now. You know what I mean? Exactly. But shit. <laughs> all right, we did it. We went through the top ten worst moments, man. It's it wasn't easy at all. Really, really wasn't easy. We pushed this three weeks just because we were avoid we we're trying to avoid talking about it, but we had to do it. I'll just peel a bandaid off, and you know, next week we're gonna talk about the top five best moments of the last two decades. Remember the good times. Yeah, I mean, we didn't just peel the bandaid off. We peeled it off and just started playing with the scab, like <laughs> put some salt on that bitch. Like that's what this was, but it's worth it. I feel like we got stronger <laughs> through <Yep>. it. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, so that's that's pretty much it for for this episode. Um, unless you got any final things you want to talk about, we the last episode we did have our honorable mentions. We talked about the other five, but that's that's it. We we have five best moments we want to talk about because we couldn't we can't really think of ten that are worth talking about because not much good stuff happened the last two decades. But we're gonna go over the the, the top five, and I'm very excited to talk about that. May fourteenth, we have the NBA draft lottery. July first. Or, yeah, that first week of July is when NBA free agency starts. The playoffs are still going on right now. That's what's going on in the NBA. But this is, you know, our off season is our season. Or the NBA off season is the Knicks season, as you mentioned before. And we're both real excited for that shit to start. Yeah, um, nothing else to add. Um, I would check out, um, you and I had uh, the article dropped yesterday, I believe, that we talked about it briefly. But we didn't get a chance to touch on it on the pod. But... Uh, Ian Bagley of uh, ESPN dropped a whole um, big article about uh, the Knicks' plans for this summer, what other execs, uh, players, and uh, GMs are talking about. And then um, Mark Berman of the New York Post, who we both think is a dumbass, um, he had a cool article, at least, with uh, one of KP's, oh, not KP's, one of KD's uh, good friends, uh, Navarro Bowman, who was a fucking amazing football player when he played. Um, I didn't even know he was that cool with KD. But, uh, yeah, Navarro Bowman was uh, interviewed by The Post, and he started talking about, like, um, he was being coy, but he talked about how great MSG is, how great of a moment it is, and uh, how great of a moment it would be to thrive there. And he said him and KD, grown up, always dreamt about the big stage, you know what I mean? And uh, MSG was always that. And um, I noticed that just because I'm in the D.C. area, there are there are a good bit of Knicks fans there. And I think that you could attribute that to just uh, – Ewing coming out of Georgetown, you know what I mean? Yep. Which is a DC school. So um, 
I feel like the Knicks have always been kind of in the foreground or in the background of a uh, uh, KD, you know, so to speak. And uh, Navarro Bowman was just saying how like uh, going in, KD definitely has uh, his sights set on one team, and he's just but he's gonna meet with a small group of teams, and um, after that he's gonna decide finally. So what I took from that was just like, yo, our con- contingent, Mills, Perry, Fizdo, we just gotta not fuck up that meeting, and uh, you know we'll see what happens when he puts pen to paper. But uh, yeah, otherwise, just uh, check out those two articles if, you, if y'all are interested. You know, subscribe, and uh, maybe next week we'll actually do our end game reactions. You know, a little bit of treat. You know what I mean? You down for that? <laughs> we'll see. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but we'll we'll have a disclaimer, so we'll be all right. So that means we'll just have like a few less listeners. Yeah, I mean, we'll 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 put it at the end if anything. We'll like, hey, be aware of spoilers, capital letters, and all that in our description, but. Yeah, hopefully, you know, we put we, we we went through the past, we dug up our past to see where we're going. You know, you can't what, – what's that old phrase? I mean, those that don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it. Yep. You know what I mean? You got it. So let's uh, – yeah, we had to do that. We had to go back our dark past just so we can put in perspective the positivity where you and I are excited about and, you know, fingers crossed for the lottery and in the summer, right? Yeah, well put. All right, that's that about wraps it up for this 19th edition of the Nickish Podcast. Tune in for episode number 20 next week. And like Nafi mentioned, uh, subscribe to us on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. It's no longer Nick underscore ish. It's just Nickish Podcast. Uh, no hyphens or underscores or anything. So just Nickish Podcast. Give us a like. Uh, give us a follow. Share and all that. So... Again, thank you all for listening, and tune in next week for the top five best moments in Nick's franchise history. Peace. Peace.